to episode 125 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 10th of May 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. G'day. Graham. Hello. And Will. Good evening. So we'll be covering some of your feedback later, but first, first impressions. So we talked about this a couple of episodes ago. We went to DistroWatch, pressed the random distribution button, and it gave us Endless OS. Now, Will, you were assigned this, and you only had to look at it in a VM. The other two, if you had time to look at it. So who has actually looked at this? Me. Yeah, I've looked at it as well. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get it working on my real laptop. I had to look at it in a VM after all. I think you need to explain about your laptop, though. Well, it is haunted. Zubuntu was installed on there working fine, went to install um, Endless, and all I got was a flickering screen. Hmm, strange. But it is haunted, so Mm. thankfully you've got the VM. So the first thing to mention is this is a 16 gigabyte download if you go for the full version. There is a smaller version of it, but I don't think that's uh, the point of it. The whole point is that this is something that can be used offline. And the other thing I noticed was that once I'd found a flash drive big enough, it needs the whole disk still. I remember this from the last time I checked it out a while ago. You can't just stick it on a partition, or not easily at least. It just says, what disk do you want? Okay, I'm going to wipe that disk. Are you okay with that? And then it does it. So if you've got a VM, obviously that's not a problem. If you've got a laptop that you're dedicating to it, it's not a problem. But it annoyed me a little bit that I had to put a different SSD in my test laptop for this. Yeah, and the the 16 gig download is 16.2 gig, and I have only got 16 gig USB drive, so I had to buy a 32 gig USB drive. And uh, yeah, okay, I'm probably, uh, well, I'm almost definitely living in the past, but you know, it it seems like for for 200 meg, perhaps they could have just shaved a little bit off there and uh, and got it onto a 16 gig uh, USB stick, but wasn't to me. So something that a fair few people have said to us when they found out that we were going to be talking about this is that it is perfect for kids and kids who you don't want to be connected to the internet. You could install this on a laptop for them, not connect it to the network and just give it to them and give them entertainment for hours potentially. I didn't think I'd like this as much as I did. I think this is the perfect laptop for going on holidays somewhere where there's no internet and you fancy just having a browse about and doing stuff. I I thought it would be terrible the way that they'd have integrated all these different things. I thought it'd be like open up localhost for a crappy version of Wikipedia that was all broken. But everything that they've installed has like its own GUI around it as such to give you the feel of the the site or the encyclopedia. Like the encyclopedia app, for instance, it is a big, massive tarball of Wikipedia. Yet they've wrapped every website with a nice border and edge. And you actually feel like you're in like, you know, Encarta of days of yore and such forth. It's it's great. And I found myself doing stuff that I'd never ever gotten around to myself and I ended up getting lost in it. It was like an absolutely dangerous time sink for trying to get any work done during the day when I was trying it. Because there's things like the um, Arduino tutorials that are in there or there was even the um, Blender stuff where for the first time ever I've actually run a Blender tutorial and, you know, tried to move the mouse around. Then I fired it up in the VM which was definitely not any form of horsepower in it, yet still ran it, and it was great. And some of the games that came with it, the Endless Studio games, were really good quality, like nicely produced, 
ran very smoothly, even in a very poorly specced VM. And they just felt like a, a quality game, like something that I could see myself losing a few sort of hours here and there to, or sat on a plane or something. I could play with those uh, with those games for hours. Really quite impressed. Yeah, but when you say games, like it, it does feel like the games that your teacher picked for the class, where it's maths, maths, G-Compree, and then typing. And then what I thought was NumPy at the last one, I thought, fucking hell, NumPy, that's a bit fucking hardcore. And then I realized it was actually Numpty Physics, <laughs> which is actually great crack. It's a, an, an interactive crayon drawing where you can drop shit on stuff. It's great. Oh, I was playing some sort of uh, like pipes game where you had to join up the, you know, to get the U's from one side to the other. I spent quite a while, probably too long playing that game. It was great. Well, that's the big story here. There's always more to discover because even if you just go for offline and don't install anything else, there's just so much software here. Just everything you can think of is installed out of the box. And then there's even more available in the software store, software center, whatever they call it. And that's all flat packs. So you've just got almost unlimited amounts of software to use with this. Yeah, I was very impressed with it as well. I can't quite get as excited as you lot about the offline nature of it. It's very, very cool. But it reminds me a little bit of how when I'm going on holiday, I, I stuff a load of ROMs on all of my games console, my portable games consoles and download everything I need for a week or two of playing games and then just read a book for two weeks. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to disconnect, Graham. God. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really good point about it being an educational platform. I also, it looks really nice. It's a really nice experience. I have a few issues with the UI, but tiny, really, and it's not just it's not GNOME. There's a few things like I found it difficult to find a, a universal settings panel and the desktop view, the fact that you don't have the, the launch icon or the applications view app icon in the same place. But these are minor parts. I really like the selection of apps. I really like the way that they've made it look good. I quite liked the sort of tablet UI style. Um, if I had managed to get it working on my proper laptop, I would have been able to use it with a touchscreen. And I think that would have been a really nice experience for, well, for me, but also for my kids as well. Be honest, they wouldn't have got it <laughs> off yet. <laughs> well, yeah. It does feel modern, doesn't it? Plasma, it is not. Like, you can't configure it hardly at all. It just is what it is. Like, they've decided this is what it's going to be like. And it's very much aimed at the mobile first generation almost. It feels like it could get people into proper computers who have never really used it. They've only ever used a phone or tablet before. Yeah, I mean, it feels like that. And I'm going to wash my mouth with soap after this, a infotainment-like device mm -hmm. where, you know, you can start with the consuming stuff, but you can actually do useful things afterwards as well. Like, I mean, there's even the HTML5 and CSS3 proper uh, tutorials on there and stuff like that. I had a couple of issues with it. The horrific terms and conditions thing you need to oh. check at the start. It's like, Jesus Christ. It's like, I don't know how many pages it was, but I, you know, obviously read every word of it. I definitely didn't skip to the end and tick box. But if you do fire up a browser, say for like the YouTube app, there's this weird thing that happens where it opens up two browser tabs. One is the Google thing that you have to agree to to go to YouTube. And then the second is this weird payment screen for Adblock where mm, you yeah. can't set no payment. Like, it's like, what the hell is Adblock and why am I getting to it? Like, if, if I was looking at this from a, 
uh, a newbie sort of a point of view I'd be like okay so I have to clearly play for this thing now and you know whereas all I did was just close the tab and say fuck off and it just it's it's a weird thing for everything else being so smooth just don't put ad block on there put something else on it and just r- rip that out that's really strange was that in chrome well no i clicked on the youtube app oh. i got it as well yeah quite honest i'm not entirely sure what it opened up i i guess it was probably chrome or maybe yeah it was it is chrome that opens up um but the second time i've opened up now i'm not actually seeing that yeah i was going to say i opened chrome up to to just test the browser out and i didn't see that which is really strange it has this one time payment uh sort of section that gives you know like 35 dollars 25 whatever and yeah five is the minimum apparently which you know for anybody who's not clued up would just go oh show you Mm. i better pay five yeah which seems absolutely ridiculous i don't know why they have that no but i mean just to be clear that was adblock asking for the payment yeah 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 sorry it was yeah yeah exactly I agree with you on the terms and conditions, though. Um, there was talk about data collection, about what version you're running, what device you're running on, what your location is. Um, yeah, I understand why they why they want to know that. But then there was something about sharing with third parties that made me feel a bit uneasy. But they weren't really that long. I did read them. But the, the really galling thing was that you had to accept them to proceed past that point. Now, I know that that's pretty standard practice these days, and I'm sure that their lawyers make them do that. But um, it was, yeah, it was kind of surprising to see that, like, right up front, punching you in the face. But ultimately, whatever, I installed it anyway. I think one thing they missed a trick with was the fact that, well, maybe this now that they've gone past the 16 gigabyte SD card, they can actually push all the way to 32, um, is that they could actually include some license-free music and videos in there. Because the one thing that disappointed me a bit was the fact that you fire up the music player, which is Rhythmbox. And while it has some good radio stations you can listen to, mind you, not a single one that has any heavy metal, which is obviously (laughs) a massive downside. (laughs) And sort of all this, I don't know, electronic music, I believe they call it. It seems to be past 1993, so I don't know what that is. (laughs) Um, But they have links to Last.fm and Libre.fm. Both of those require sign-up. But I, I think they could have maybe included a few artists of Creative Commons-style music, things like that. Like the free software song. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, there are very m- various artists out there that could have been included. And, you know, when you fire up your music app, first thing you do is there's zero tracks. It's a bit pointless, I think. Right, so it sounds like pretty much thumbs up from us on that one. Yeah. Then. That's good. So let's go to DistroWatch then and press the random distribution button. And what we've got, Nixos, uh, independent from the Netherlands. Uh, it's an independently developed canoe slash Linux distribution that aims to improve the state of the art in system configuration management. Ooh, yay. That's what we need. <laughs> More options. I have heard of this. This has got its own package manager and stuff. This is going to be pretty different. So this they've got GNOME and KDE versions of it. So, oh, and others as well. But uh, looking at this download page, it seems GNOME and Plasma are the main ones. Uh, Good I'm recommended for most users, apparently. I'll definitely get that one. (laughs) Which one should we go for then? Well, who's going to do it, first of all? I'll do it. Well, I'll have a go as well. Yeah, I mean, I'll try it as well. All right. I seem to have rocked you all into this now. No, it's interesting, isn't it? It's It's good. We'll see how long it lasts before (laughs) you're all going, oh, God, it's it's your turn this time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe have a quick look at both and concentrate on the one that you would normally go for or something. I don't know. 
Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it. Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with a choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone for supporting us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to learn more about it, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And just a quick reminder that the next community mumble get-together will be on Friday the 21st of May at 10pm UK time. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. I've just started my learning journey with CBT Nuggets, but I've already picked up tons of knowledge from the short and manageable videos in the Docker and Network Fundamentals courses. Their in-house trainers are active and certified IT professionals who add around 40 hours of new training to the course catalogue each week so you can always stay current and up to date. So start your free 7-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. Let's do some feedback then. And the first one is from Tom. He says, I thought your recent discussion on the implications of WSLG was really interesting. I agree that no one is going to be running this for that killer Linux app because all the flagship apps that run on Linux like Blender are available natively for Windows too. I do think that it could be an incidentally good thing though. If tech people use it for work because they have to, when they come to decide what to do with that aging laptop, they may decide rather than throwing it out, they will slap Linux on it because they're already somewhat familiar with it, assuming they're aware of Linux's reputation for resurrecting tech that is useless with Windows three years after you buy it. Is this a bit naive and hopeful? Yes. Well, Jim on Two and a Half Admins pointed out that uh, Vert Manager isn't available for Windows, and that's something that he uses all the time. So that could be the killer app for him. There's bound to be other stuff that we just can't think of. And I do think there's an element of somebody using Linux through work on their Windows machine kind of gets them used to the command line or whatever that may have scared them off using Linux because everybody says that Linux is just the command line and difficult to use. It may get them over that hump and they may care about privacy at some point in the future and think, oh, I'll just install Linux. Maybe I'm overly pessimistic with it all and maybe I should just assume that the people who would try Linux will still try it. Well, yeah, I think you're right. There are people who are going to try it and the people who are just never going to try it. And even if they're only using it via Windows, that's better than them not using it at all, is the way I see it. Yeah, you're probably right. I think the days of one has to be the victor by having everybody do 
exclusively one thing i think those days are well gone and to be honest that's probably a good thing as well i mean you shouldn't be stuck in your in your rut essentially so maybe it's overall going to be a good thing all right alan said i too have the same problem with freezing inputs in plasma it's a known bug that the kde plasma team unfortunately refuses to fix since it does not affect many users you can easily reproduce it by installing plasma in a vm invert manager and then links to the bug and says, copy and paste plain text, just a few characters is enough. I did try it briefly and I couldn't reproduce it. Yeah, now the funny thing is I use this for work. So I my main desktop is obviously a Plasma desktop and I use, for some clients, I would have a VPN into their site and rather than use my whole machine, get tied up with the VPN, I create a Plasma virtual machine and i use that to to run the vpn software so i've got plasma within plasma and now i don't see this i have had issues where clipper which is the kde uh, clipboard application might get confused and you know i use kvm as my my hypervisor and i use clipper then for the clipboard manager which comes by default but i find that it got confused with the guest editions for kvm and you know you would copy and paste various bits of text and it wouldn't know whether the one that you had in the main host was getting copied to the virtual machine if there was two virtual machines it was getting in the right mess so all my virtual machines i just disable clipper and i don't see any of this type of issue so the problem is that that isn't even a kd bug though the one that he's highlighting that is actually upstream in qt for part of the library and the problem with these things is it, it could be down to sort of various hardware setups or even X windows. So, I mean, to be honest, you might have to wait till Wayland before all of these issues get ironed out, I would say. Now, I did see somebody somewhere say that it might be to do with spinning rust and just like disk IO causing the freezing. But I can't remember who said that and where. So I'm sorry for not crediting you for that. But that maybe could be what caused the problem i don't know but all my vm images run off a zfs partition which is two western digital black drives and they don't have any issues at all so i I don't know yeah but i'm not talking vms here someone just said like if the common denominator uh this was a couple of episodes ago we were talking about this The, the person wrote in and said that he had all sorts of different hardware giving him the same result with these random freezes and um it could be that it's a spinning rust issue. If you're running it off SSDs, you're not going to see that. Whereas if you've got a you know, like 5400 laptop drive or whatever, then maybe that's going to be the cause of it. Yeah, and I, I think, unfortunately, that is the thing where supporting all hardware, generally there will be weird combinations that don't work for you. But like, try Disable Clipper is all I could say, maybe as a start. Maybe it's causing some issue there. All right, Jacob on YouTube. Now, I don't read a lot of YouTube comments out because fuck YouTube, basically. Sorry, everyone who's listening on YouTube. But anyway, he said, it may be time to pretty up the logo slash thumbnail a bit, guys. It's kind of an eyesore next to the other podcasts I subscribe to. So what do we think? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't like it from the start, especially with the, the tail sawing off that occurred at the very start. Well, okay. Do we have to fucking pay someone to redo the art? Because I, I, I can't do art. Maybe we should have a competition. <laughs> <laughs> the competition is our love. And a t-shirt. I haven't got any fucking t-shirts to give anyone. <laughs> I've got fucking loads, mate. <laughs> what, some random t-shirt that you got from a conference? Yeah. <laughs> 
So, I mean, if someone wants to do it for free, then that would be fucking brilliant. But I'm, I don't expect people to work for free. And like, I don't see it being a problem enough to pay for it, to, you know, pay a professional. But if someone's got ideas or whatever, or, you know, there's a website where you can, um, it's not Fiverr, but it's like that. It's like 99 Designs or something. I think that might be what it's called, where you can put your spec and then a load of people post in the thread or whatever, and then you pick one and pay them. Um, and then all the other people are just shit out of luck. They spent ages designing it for nothing. And then they track you down and shite all over you. <laughs> well, no, like, yeah, that's the deal. Like, they, they pitch their idea, and then if you like it, you pay them, and you get the SVGs and big PNGs or Photoshop files or whatever. So, yeah, maybe. I I'm sure there are plenty of talented people out there. But, like, I don't see it as a problem. It's minimalist. It's shit. I quite like it. I don't know what the penguin's standing on, but... It's the moon. We've been over this. The penguin's standing on the moon. <laughs> how, can, how can it be standing on the crescent of the moon? He's in front of the moon because the moon is a sphere. Yes, I know, obviously. It's like, it's abstract, isn't it? Well, it's, it, to be honest, Jesse came up with the concept of it and it was stolen from DreamWorks or whatever. We've had this conversation before yeah. and you lot didn't even know it was a penguin standing on the moon. I was being sarcastic then. I know you were, I know. But, but anyway... I see no problem with it. I don't like change, but if someone can come up with an excellent idea that they want to give us free or cheap, then get in touch. com slash contact. Please save us. <laughs> save us from this poor logo. And we've got an email from Paul who says, uh, following your announcement on the latest show that you're going to try out different distros, I thought I'd point you in the direction of GRML hyphen rescue boot. After buying a new laptop, I struggled with getting a live Linux distro to boot. This led me to look for ways of booting an ISO from my hard drive, and GRML Rescue Boot is the answer. In my setup, I'd finally managed to get a distro installed, which then allowed me to install GRML-Rescue Boot via apt-get. There may be another way of getting GRML-Rescue Reboot <laughs> Rescue Boot to work without an existing Linux distro installed, but I didn't look into that. I think I'll just insert here that... GRML hyphen rescue boot allows you to put a boot ISO inside the boot partition of your hard drive so that even if you can't mount a, a CD-ROM or ISO um, optical drive, you can still boot there. Paul goes on to say the instructions for GRML Rescue Boot are clear on how to set it up. Once the live distro has been booted via Rescue Boot, it's a simple case of using the install option to write to the laptop's hard drive. I did have one problem with the Ubuntu installer complaining about a lock on the hard drive, but if memory serves, a quick bit of googling confirmed that killing the job with the lock was okay. I'd recommend giving Rescue Boot a go, as it certainly saved me a lot of time. I'd not heard of this though, and it does sound quite useful. It does sound useful, but not when you've got a pile of laptops like me and, you know, loads of disks and everything. I don't think I've ever had to resort to it. Like, I'd rather do a VM than fuck around with this. Mm. A thing I think is sorely missing is a rescuable boot distro that somehow fires up either TeamViewer or SSH mm. or, you know, some various thing and just boots into that directly because the amount of times someone will say, oh, I've got a server it's crashed and I, I need to rescue it. And then you're trying to talk them how to get a boot CD going mm. and then get that booted up and then log into it. And then, oh, right. Unfortunately, you need to now apt install TeamViewer or something like that remotely. Someone should just make a, a live rescue CD that you can access remotely. That'd be nice. Well, we'll stick a link to that in the show notes anyway for anyone who finds it useful. I, I just can't see the use for it, but maybe I'll think about it one day when all else fails. 
I think if you'd done a few years on a help desk, this sort of thing would be incredibly useful. Yeah, maybe. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into your Linux environment. By uniting metrics and events from servers, databases, applications, and more, Datadog can easily give you a unified view into your entire infrastructure. Easily identify hidden sources of latency, like overloaded hosts, by monitoring server metrics alongside application data. With machine learning-based alerts and features like anomaly detection, Datadog can also help you to monitor and alert on the health of your servers in real-time without alert fatigue. Start your Datadog trial today by visiting datadog.com slash late-night-linux. Start your free trial, create one dashboard, and you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash late-night-linux. Okay, Peter says, whilst this isn't related to something you've spoken about directly, a comment Joe made on a recent episode about watching something on YouTube made me wonder why you've not mentioned FreeTube in the past. I know, the first thing you'll criticise is that it's Electron, but give it a chance. I was recently watching a 12-minute video full screen in HD 1080p, and it was only using 113 megabytes of RAM. Like most of you, I'm not keen on the privacy vacuum that is YouTube. However, that doesn't diminish the fact that there is lots of great content there, and then he links to it. And I did try this out, and there's various ways to install it, including just a tar ball with a binary in it that you can just run. And... um. It was just a browser window with YouTube. Like I'd, maybe I should have spent more time with it, but I'd rather just used YouTube in Firefox, to be honest, on the desktop. But maybe he didn't make you sign in or anything, so I suppose there's that. Um, and there was no annoying, like, you have to accept this Euler, like, if you go to YouTube without signing in. So I suppose it has got some benefits if you, like, really hate Google and stuff, but... I mean, if failing, even you don't hate Google that much that you're going to use an Electron app to watch YouTube videos. I don't know what would happen that I'd have to use an Electron app. I just, I cannot stand it. Um, yeah, no, I know. And I, it's where most of my stuff, like I, I would never claim to be sort of purity free, but like YouTube is one of the few areas where they know absolutely everything about me and uh, there's nothing getting around it. Like, mm. I have no inherent problem with Electron apps. Like I've got 64 gigabytes of RAM. I don't give a shit. No, they're awful. If it works, it works. No, I begrudgingly am going to give that amount of memory to a chat app like Slack is. No way. It can sit in a tab in my pin tabs in Firefox, but no way am I having it just sit there on its own eating that amount of stuff. It's ridiculous. Well, my RAM's not doing anything else unless I'm running VMs. So fuck it. What do I care? And we got another message from Will who says, in episode 113, you had a moan about Raspberry Pi secretly adding the VS Code repo to installed machines via an update, and then in KDE Corner, you barely twitched when a KDE update had changed your desktop. The former probably didn't affect you, whereas the latter did, especially as you don't like things to change. What was the difference? Were you informed about the change in the desktop wallpaper up front? Looks like hypocrisy to me. It leads me on to another point about how the Linux and wider open source community continually fights amongst itself about who is holier than thou rather than just getting on with it and making the best products and championing them. This situation is rife. Ubuntu, Fedora communities, Snaps, Flatpaks, some open source enthusiasts who use Chromium because they don't trust Mozilla, to name just two. And then there are a few monks, excuse me, people who get overly excited because a repo is added to their installed OS. 
I bet this happens all the time and nobody bats an eyelid, but as soon as it's an MS product, get the pitchforks and start baying for blood at the doors of the evil Raspberry Pi Foundation. What the fuck? The Raspberry Pi Foundation are the bad guys? No. OS and Linux community, read Sun Tzu's Art of War and learn to win. The Raspberry Pi is the best chance ever to get Linux on the desktop widely used. Get on their side. I think he's mixed you and me up together. Joe doesn't like things changing. I'm all for KDE changing and getting better every week. That's fine by me. <laughs> well, no, it was me saying that my wallpaper had changed with an upgrade. Because um, I had it on just the default, I think. Or maybe I didn't. But anyway, it changed my wallpaper and I was slightly annoyed by that. But like, that's not a big deal, is it? I mean, that's just another wallpaper. Yeah, it's more visible than a repo. But back then, I, 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 we shouldn't really be dragging this up. But uh, Will is behind listening. He said like he'd probably listen to this in a few months when he catches up. But um that's a just totally different thing. Like that's a small aesthetic change that I can easily revert back and ultimately doesn't matter. Whereas adding a repo without telling me is a completely different story. And we never said that the Raspberry Pi Foundation were like evil and the bad guys or whatever. We just said it was misjudged by them and just shows that they don't have like a true deep understanding of the culture, I suppose, and the world that we come from in Linux and open source, and that they use Linux as a tool rather than as a, um, you know, like almost a religion like we do. Amen. <laughs> right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll probably be talking about what's been going on in the news. And I'm going to say a little bit more than usual, more than I did last week, where the music faded up over Phelan and annoyed people. But until then, I've been Joe. And I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.